0: Have you thought this
1: through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll Bye. never make any money doing that. How are you going to get the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try and sell that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? All right. Will your parents morons too? Savvy Entrepreneur to the Rescue! Congratulations. Congratulations. That really turned out well. Really I'm really good I'm really excited. I'm surprised.
0: You know, I wish. I never thought I
1: needed How did you do that? I'm so glad you're here today. I wish I had the courage to follow my train. Hello there, everybody. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. We're broadcasting here on WLCB 101.5 FM, based in the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person or thinking about becoming one, this show is for you. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. I'm a crazy entrepreneur myself, and I love helping other entrepreneurs. I've counseled lots of startups and small businesses over the past 30 years, and I've started or helped start at least nine different businesses, candidly with varying degrees of success. The Entrepreneur Show has two goals, to share helpful information and resources, and to inspire to make your journey as an entrepreneur faster and easier, and maybe just a little bit more fun. To help with that, I have guests every week on the show who are willing to share their stories and advice. And this week's guest is Dr. Asha Parekh. She's the CEO and co-founder of a company called Frontline Medical Technologies, and she joins me by phone all the way from the province of Ontario, Canada. Frontline Medical Technologies is a medical device company, and they have developed, with Dr. Parekh's help, a product that's called Cobra OS. And I don't really know much about what that is, but I know Asha is going to fill us in. What she says about it is that it's the smallest device ever To stop aortal bleeding, it allows frontline medical personnel to save more lives by controlling patients' bleeding in fewer steps and therefore hopefully decreasing potential complications. Dr. Parekh, or ASHA, as she says we can call her, has a PhD in biomedical engineering from Western University with a specialty in biomaterials and medical devices. She has several patents and publications. And has secured several grants and funding for her project. Additionally, she's dedicated to inspiring the next generation of women in STEM. And STEM, for those of you who have been living in a cave somewhere, is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and changing the fact that women account for less than a third of those in those careers. She notes too that on average, only 19% of the leadership roles in the medtech industry are held by women. And similarly, only 10% of healthcare startups are owned and/or founded by women. She frequently shares her experience with students to inspire women and girls to explore STEM. And in her spare time, she says she enjoys playing and watching soccer and F1 Racing. That is very cool, Asha. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show.
0: Thank you so much uh, for that great introduction and uh, for having me on the show, Doris. I'm uh, very excited to be here. Well,
1: I'm delighted you joined us. I think the natural place to start is to tell our listeners just a little bit more about your business. Talk more about the device that you invented and what it does and why you invented this.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. You know, uh, as you mentioned at Frontline, we have developed uh, the smallest Reboa device and Reboa is an acronym that is may sound complicated, it's resuscitative endovascular balloon occlusion of the aorta. Um, Oh, boy,
1: that's a mouthful. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and it's really just a fancy way of saying you're blocking the aorta, which is the main blood vessel that carries blood from your heart to the rest of your body. And so this procedure, Raboa, is used in emergency situations such as trauma, uh, whether it be in the civilian setting or military setting, also postpartum hemorrhage cases, among other applications. But basically, so the, the Raboa device itself, which would be our device called the COBRA OS, which is also an acronym uh but anyways
1: (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you for that thank you for for sparing us that but i'm sure it's very meaningful i'm sure for people who are Physicians and emergency medical personnel, I'm sure they know exactly what it is.
0: That's right. That's right. And and the device itself is a tool that is used to do exactly that, to block the aorta. It's specifically for hemorrhage. So if you're bleeding out in the torso region, uh, you know, it, you can't compress that area, like your internal organs and effectively stop bleeding as you could if it was on an extremity like your
1: hand or your leg. Oh, yeah. So you can't do a tourniquet.
0: That's right.
1: (laughs) On your torso.
0: (laughs) But it might not be very effective, uh, you know, and that internal bleeding would still be going on. So when you block the aorta, it actually prevents the blood loss through that injury site, wherever it's happening. And the other key thing is that it ensures that there's continuous blood flow. Whatever your heart is pumping reaches your brain and your heart, because those are the two Mm -hmm. vital organs to keep you in good standing. So that's the whole, you know, theory and premise behind doing this type of procedure. And it is temporary. I must say, you know, it's not like you want to block blood flow from the rest of your body indefinitely. This is a temporary measure to allow patients to get to definitive care because Doris, if I tell you the statistic, you know, it it is crazy that if you're outside of a hospital there is a 10% chance that you'll make it if you have that type of hemorrhage that you'll actually make it. Oh my
1: it. goodness,
0: 90% of patients will bleed out before they even get to definitive care, they can't even get into the hands of a surgeon. So that isn't that it's alarming. It's a it's a large amount of people that you know, um, that are unfortunately uh, suffering from these types of injuries.
1: So I mentioned in the introduction with the information you sent me that it avoids potential complications. And I guess obviously one, one potential complication is uh, you don't make it, but are there others Uh, brain damage? I mean, I, I don't know.
0: Absolutely. So uh, complications of not having this type of device. Absolutely. You know, the the deficits, unfortunately, come in when there's uh, blood loss to the brain, uh, and the heart, you know, uh, cardiac arrest and all these other unfortunate things that can happen uh, in those situations. And the other complications that we we were talking about, you know, in terms of decreasing complications is actually for the procedure itself. Currently, with the technologies that are available, it it is very hard. It is difficult, I should say, to perform ROBOA outside of a hospital. And interestingly enough, right now, you know, it is being done in some places, but majority of these Cases are actually being done inside a hospital. So you're already in the hospital and just trying, again, you're still, same premise, you're trying to buy time maybe to get from the ER to the OR and that type of thing. But, you know, you ask the question, why? Why? we did this. And, and, you know, we wanted to target those broader areas and get out into the field and give those patients the 90% of patients, at least a chance at survival, you know, let's make it easier. Let's try to overcome the current complications that there are. Let's, you know, overcome those challenges and see if we can get something into their hands that is a little bit more suitable for the field.
1: Well, I'm sure with your background, you could have invented a number of different things. How did you decide to focus on emergency medical procedures and devices?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Doris. And, you know, there, there are many factors that went into that. And I'll, I'll tell you, you're right. I've worked on several different projects, med- medical technology projects, but none of them re- really encompassed everything as a whole that I would want to dedicate my life to. That's the easiest way I can say it, you know, nothing checked all the boxes the way this one did. And, you know, some of the major ones I'll tell you are that was very important to myself and my business partner is, is the impact. You know, this has obviously the potential to have a a very high impact on people's lives, their families, communities, you know, uh, so on and so forth. For me as well, I've always enjoyed and, and wanted to be doing something where I really felt like I was helping people. And this definitely checks that box. And the last thing I'll mention, again, there, there are several, but I would say one of the most important, you know, perhaps the most important are the people that you're doing this with. And my business partner, you know, is a vascular surgeon by trade, but I'll, I I will say openly, he, he is one of a kind. He's not a stereotypical surgeon, if I may say that out loud. And, you know, that was, A very big part of of my decision because that has a huge impact in on everything, as I'm sure you can understand. In any job, uh, whether it's your own company or working for a company, the people that you work with uh, plays a big role in your own personal Uh, happiness and success. Yeah,
1: I mean, obviously, we could do a whole show on (laughs) finding good business partners and what makes good business partners. In fact, I might just do that, but. Yeah. You know, you can have a great idea, but if things with your business partner don't mesh, then that creates a whole bunch of other challenges. So how did you talk about the process of how you decided to start the business? When did you start it? And I guess there's a, you know, there's probably a lot of pathways that you could take a device that's invented. You could try to license it to one of the big device companies. I, I don't know, there's probably other ways to think about that. So talk about the process of founding the company and how you went about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, great question, because you're you're exactly right. And in some of these other projects that I've worked on, we've done exactly that. You know, it's you invent something, uh, there's an innovation there, we filed patents and if that's the end of the road, that's fine for it. Or if there's a company that wants to take it on, also, also fine with it. But again, like you said, this commercialization pathway and starting a company uh, is is a a much larger commitment. And again, it was because this project itself checked all of those boxes. And I will say if I can narrow it down to maybe the highest. On our, on both mine and my business partners' list is that impact we saw, and really felt the need to get it out there and and commercialize and and put something like this into the world where we can, um, you know, try to at least affect some change and help try to save people's lives better than it's being done today.
1: That's certainly true. If you license an idea, you certainly have less control over whether anything really ever happens with it, and what happens with it, and how it developed, right? That's right.
0: Yeah, so we, we, it was uh, over three years ago now, we received a bit of startup funding through this program that was run locally. And that's really what catapulted us into the serious conversations about what it would take. And, you know, putting a, a real effort into moving this forward. Because, you know, for one, we both had our day jobs. And this was kind of something we were just doing in our spare time type of thing. But, you know, to really put effort into it, we said, are we going to actually do that? And so that is when I took the leap into entrepreneurship. And, uh, you know, this has been my full time ever since. And, you know, we took that plunge and said, let's get into the world of medical technology commercialization, which I know, you know, is not a small or a short journey and the path to market itself is quite long, but you know, thankfully we've never had to look back.
1: Well, that's great. So (laughs) you mentioned a local program. Was that kind of a local accelerator program that helped you Mm -hmm. gain confidence to make that jump?
0: Yeah, you know, um, it was I would say the funding was a factor. The program itself wasn't a typical accelerator. They did have some sessions to help with startups, you know, on certain seminars on say like intellectual property and things like that. But it was really the funding that got us going. And it was uh, a mix of government funding and a local organization. So it certainly got us thinking about incorporating sooner than we may have. So, you know- the credit to that for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, so what does the pathway look like? I mean, where are you and what needs to be done next and where are you looking to market this product and how?
0: in general medical technologies depending on the class of the device can take several years and several millions of dollars to just get to regulatory approval as you know we can't just start making something and sell it and and you know obviously (laughs) we understand it has to be safe and effective and we want it to be safe and effective to prove that takes a long time and I will say that we We are thankfully at the point where we are ready to enter the market. We are starting in North America first, and then we will expand. So, you know, Canada and the U.S. will be our first markets. And the field of Raboa itself, I will say, is still an emerging market. So uh, it's not a very established field. And, you know, that makes it a bit challenging, but it also makes it exciting.
1: Yeah, the ability to make an impact for sure. That's I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking even if this is not a procedure that most emergency medical personnel have performed, there's there's going to have to be a fair bit of training, right? For folks to be able to use this effectively.
0: Yeah, it's a great point, uh, Doris, because in the design and development of this, you know, that was a very big consideration for us. The whole point was to make it as user-friendly and as easy and, you know, facilitate that part of it. So there certainly will be a component, especially for people that have not done it, to learn. But as people in the medical field often have, have to do, you know, there may be a small training component required there. But we do believe that we have lowered the barriers to have this done by expanding the type of professionals that can do it beyond surgeons in the hospital.
1: So talk about some of the challenges you faced in getting started. It's a big leap into entrepreneurship, particularly in healthcare in general. So talk about some of the challenges you faced and how you dealt with them.
0: I, I think that we've been fairly lucky from a company level and on a personal level as well. But obviously, there there are always those, you know, hills or roller coasters, as they say, of entrepreneurship or the high and the lows. And, you know, yeah, we have been pretty lucky. But I will say, you know, there are some things, um, you know, being a small company, for one, we kept it lean and try to keep our organization small again at first uh you know considering funding and also the workload is is very different in a startup you may have a lot of work to do at some times and not so much at other times so you know hiring is also something that you know that factors into all of that and so i think one of the things that has stood out is finding good partners and people again going back to how important the people you work with are and those relationships and finding good partners it it is one thing to find a good employee again and and timing is one thing but even finding outsourced
1: partners is not always easy (laughs)
0: like
1: i will say right and you you do need to have a lot of flexibility because what you need today in terms of an employee, a full time person hired, may change over time. So that makes it even trickier, right? Exactly.
0: And so you know, we have, um, we have gone through, you know, a couple of bringing outsource people on, you know, as consultants or any agencies or whoever. And, you know, we have gone through a couple of them and had to do some quote unquote, firing of them, but it's a lot easier to fire them than it is to fire a full time employee. So, you know, not to say we haven't gone through some changes there. Those are some things, but overall, it is ultimately, like you said, finding a good partner, but a good partner at the time that you need them, and at those stages. So um, that has been something we have dealt with along the way. And, you know, I, I again, touch wood, we have been fairly lucky in every other regard so
1: (laughs) oh yeah yeah you need to um as a startup with a brand new device I mean you need to think about the marketing of it and how you're going to find customers but you also have the manufacturing piece of it too so I'm guessing you needed to find an effective manufacturing partner too
0: yes absolutely and that was not easy either but yeah uh, it was definitely a, a very large a very important and and big
1: partner especially because medical device manufacturers are heavily regulated i mean it's not like you can just mm-hmm. stroll down the street and find your local tool and die company and you know let them go m- try to make a prototype that's right you know, there are only certain numbers of companies that have the regulatory approval and the quality systems and everything else that you need to have to produce a medical device.
0: That's correct. Yeah. So those are are things that like you said they're they're required for the field. So we've had to check those boxes and and carry along. You know, I think from that end we have been lucky and we we found a good manufacturing partner. You know, I think this past year and a bit now, the pandemic has certainly had an effect on a lot of people. And we, again, are, are thankful for where we are and where we've come, um, but haven't been able to avoid every delay possible, <laughs> to say the least.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and there are, you know, I do know that shipping and logistics has been affected. And so that's right. Uh, you need somebody to not only manufacture it, but you need to think about how you're going to distribute the product too, in a way that's cost effective, but timely. I I know healthcare systems in the U.S. are very focused on, they don't want to keep a lot of inventory of things. So that means you need to be able to deliver it, not exactly just in time, but maybe pretty close to it. That's correct. So what's been the hardest, the single hardest thing so far for you in becoming an entrepreneur?
0: Uh, Well, I would say that the hardest has also been the best. And that is that I have never done this before. So it's been an education on its own, which is amazing, but also very hard. So, you know, there have been a lot of learning experiences. I'm not, you know, a seasoned entrepreneur, as you might say. But I think that is, again, uh, I I like to use that as inspiration to a lot of people who are scared to do it and say, Just because you've never done it, it doesn't mean that you cannot, right. you know, we built this from the ground up and you really feel like part of those rewards are the ownership that comes from it. It's everything that has gone into this. You've literally done yourself and, you know, it, it is hard to learn a lot in every facet. So as a start, you know, it was just myself and my business partner at first, and we had to learn everything from how to take that product to market on the manufacturing development side to regulatory quality finances, you know, like everything, uh, intellectual property, corporate legal things, like things that we've never dealt with. So like, you know, again, it was hard and it has, you know, but it, it has been amazing at the same time.
1: Well, so how do you how do you find effective resources? And what advice might you offer to to people in terms of finding those partners and finding the help that you need?
0: Mm-hmm. Great question. I will say, what I've learned over the past few years in that regard is that I mean, always, I just always ask, ask people ask, who you know, and in terms of finding good people, I will, because we've had to kind of, you know, just shoot aimlessly sometimes and look for people like you know even Google searches. I don't
1: you don't strike me as a very aimless sort of person.
0: <laughs> yeah. I should say aimless. Yeah, with a target in mind, but maybe you know not necessarily knowing we're just trying to find people on our own. But I have found that the best relationships and the best connections that we have found have been through referrals. So you know, go to your people that you know, and ask, continue to ask for any recommendations, other people that have been through it that may say, yes, actually, I know somebody who'd be really good for that, instead of just trying to find people on our own. That is something that now I I will not to say, I mean, if you don't have a choice, you don't have a choice. But if we have the option for a referral, and somebody referred or an agency referred, then we will try to go down that route first, you know, at least there's some credibility from someone there. And that, again, goes back to who you're asking, then they should also be a credible
1: source. Well, so you're you're making the argument pretty effectively for network, 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 right? That's right. Absolutely.
0: Because again, it goes back to people right You're and having, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not a have a a huge network person, I have a quality network is, is more what I
1: strive for. Yeah. I think your experience is certainly, it squares quite nicely with what other entrepreneurs tell me week after week. (laughs) Um, So I, I think your experience is right on. Where do you find inspiration when you hit a speed bump or a little wall?
0: Yeah, I will say two things. Uh, one, it always goes back to that impact. The drive that, you know, we want to get that out there. Again, per on a company level and personal level, me, it's like, I really want to help get this out there. So, you know, if, it, if it's hard, push through, keep pushing, do what you need to do because this has to get out there. So impact would be huge. And, you know, on a personal level, I have to say this um, if I think I'm going through a hard time or there's something that's personally tough for me to do, I often think about my business partner because he is not only a full-time surgeon also does this, you know, in a capacity. I, I have yet to comprehend how he can do it, but, you know, amongst other things, uh, you know, in life and it, it really, I think the support is what I'm trying to get at. Also is, you know, uh, having, having that support and I look at everything that we can accomplish together and I, I do drive inspiration from his drive as a person. So those would be the two things is just, you know, really wanting to affect change in the world, which may sound cliche, but it, it's really true. You know, it is something that really, uh, drives me and, you know, having, having an exceptional partner.
1: Well, I think those are very, I mean, having a, an overall purpose, something you're passionate about Mm -hmm. certainly helps most entrepreneurs. I think that's another theme that Mm -hmm. I would say has been very consistent in all the people I've talked to is, you know, when you have that vision, that overriding vision, Staying focused on that and continuing to draw inspiration from it helps most of us get through those rough patches. You know, I know one of your other passions that we we chatted about before the show is helping encourage more women in STEM. And again, for those of you who have heard the term STEM, but not sure what it means, it's science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, you know, the numbers are are pretty depressing, particularly in medical technology and healthcare. Uh, I mentioned in the introduction you had shared with me, only 19% of leadership roles in the med tech industry are held by women. And only 10% of healthcare startups are owned or founded by women. And I, you know, Ash, I don't know if that's a Canadian-only statistic or North America, but I know the numbers, no matter which ones you look at, are shockingly small. <laughs> why, why is that? I mean, the, the majority of w- nurses are women and lots of physicians are, are women these days. So what's the story there, do you think?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think there's a, uh, a few things to, to look at. One is the actual stem uh, portion of it which you know as you said is the science and technology and the actual technical part of it and the other separate i almost separate them in my mind because that is very different like encouraging which i i do uh, as you mentioned encouraging women to get into stem to begin with is one thing but a woman in stem already getting into like a corporate med tech job is is a a different ball game almost you know Having that ownership or co-founding a company or those positions, I think those roles um, entail a different angle as well. So it's a little bit of a both of those worlds coinciding.
1: Yeah, it, I agree with you, and I think it's good to separate the two. So let's talk about women in STEM in general. I mean, I, I've concluded there must be things that happen at a fairly early stage of development because. As far as I know, there's there's really not many barriers. I mean, when you go to college or university, women are free to choose to be a communications major or a, a math major or a computer science major or a journalism major, right? I mean, n- nobody says you're a woman, you can't be a math major. So something else is happening to pre-select women who from choosing those paths,
0: yeah, yeah, that's a great point, Doris, and I, I fully agree with you. I think it starts from a very young age, and I think the influencers on those decisions are many. Uh, you know, again, some controversial, potentially controversial topics, but even from parenting to school environments, social environments, all of those things, and I think every place slash person, uh, you know, has has its part in, in where people go. And I think there are, you know, cultural things at play here as well that, you know, kind of direct you in, in ways, even if unintentionally, but I I, I do think that the influences come from, from many directions.
1: You've thought about this a lot. Give Mm -hmm. some examples of how an event or encouragement or lack thereof might affect, the course of someone's career.
0: Yeah, you know, I I will say from personal experience, um, I am thankful to have parents who encouraged us to do what we wanted to and not necessarily pushed us in any way, specifically. But I do know, in contrast, some friends that uh, I'm, I'm uh, of an Indian ethnic background, and I, I will say me growing up with those types of parents, particularly, again, I'm, I'm focusing on this one thing as an example, but mm-hmm. a lot of people of Indian background, they do get a lot of pressure from their families to, to go into the, you know, medical sciences, engineer, you always hear like they're all, you're an engineer, doctor, those types of fields are the ones that Indian people tend to go towards. But I think that's why I noticed the difference. And I, I can see to your point where if you are pushed into that way, and it may not necessarily be your own passion.
1: So you mean inadvertently parents by pushing their children, their young daughters, into sciences may actually inadvertently turn them away from it because they feel like they have to, as opposed to something they want to do. Am I understanding you right? I
0: do agree with that, Doris. I do agree with it. And you know, there's also the part where every individual is different. So an individual, you know, I can think of people right now in my life, an individual that may have been in that family and cultural situation that moved towards STEM for, you know, probably a bunch of reasons, but you know, also had that influence from the parents. They may be completely fine with it because they're the type of person that will carry on with their life with whatever and not necessarily reflect on it. Whereas mm-hmm. another person I know has also had those influences, gone down that path and not enjoyed it, reflected and has have realized that they made these choices for maybe the wrong reasons, not entirely because it's what they wanted to do. And, and that can have, you know, a, a great impact on your life, as I'm sure you can imagine.
1: Oh, well, it's interesting. And there may be cultural factors here. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm just thinking my daughter just graduated with her bachelor's degree in statistics. So she, she is a successful STEM story, but you know, I'm Caucasian mm-hmm. and she jokes that she's a a very small minority and in fact you know watching the graduation ceremony first of all there were fewer women a lot fewer right Um, and without sounding stereotypical there were a lot of uh, the women who were there were mostly of Asian descent different Asian ethnic origins but you know she joked she goes oh my god there's one more white woman (laughs) Um, And so, I mean, you know, it's, I found the whole thing kind of appalling because I guess I thought that somehow since I went to college, I saw that many years ago, but I thought it must have changed a lot by now. And yet it hasn't. I mean, I, I, it just makes me wonder what is it that we as parents are doing we're not doing to, to encourage our children of all different ethnic nationalities and different kinds of backgrounds to encourage women to, you know, to really consider this.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, um, we had touched on this previously as well. I think there are some inherent biases towards women, even in this day and age. I think it's unintentional, but people and parents don't they, they don't even realize what they're doing to treat their daughters differently than sons. And, you know, you can't affect change if you're unaware, right? You, you can only do something about it if you're aware that it exists and will actually right. be moving towards that. So, right. you know, I think there is something there around awareness and educating people in being mindful of our behavior towards women and, you know, even unintentionally doing, doing these things. Um, Yeah.
1: You know, it's interesting. Someone I was chatting with not too long ago said that there's a study out there and I need to go see if I can find it. That says that someone was studying the reactions of parents with their children on the playground. And that even at a very early age you know three four five six years old parents of daughters were more likely to say and this is mothers and fathers were more likely to say be careful and more likely to say to their daughters and more likely to say to the boys oh wow look what you did
0: (laughs) yes and that that's a a great example of exactly that right same behavior from a daughter and a son and what a drastic difference in response.
1: Yeah. And that's probably a good segue into the other half of the equation that I think you rightfully made the distinction, which is first encouraging more women to consider technical fields where there, there certainly is a need for more women, more women's perspective on things. But then as you say, to, actually become an entrepreneur or a senior executive in a company where you can influence mm-hmm. how things change. So what happens there? So there's now, um, I think your statistic was maybe less than a third are women in STEM. A less than a third of the candidates in, in STEM fields are, are women. So you would expect to see though a third of the women holding leadership positions in healthcare companies, or being founders of uh, startup healthcare companies. So what happens in that next step, do you think, to make the statistics drop off even more?
0: Yeah, I think there's a a big portion of that that is also, you know, as we evolve, and thankfully, again, I have to say, I, I do think that we are moving in the right direction. But there's obviously a lot of uh, space to still work with and which can be seen by those numbers but I think there there are factors um that play into that such as because those are personality things in terms of confidence and having the confidence to be in those type of roles I do think that that's a you know has again going in the right way over generations but typically females were not in these roles and it has been traditionally the males that have been in these uh, you know senior roles and there's a shift and you know once there's always a a curve and an adaptation and adoption curve and as we go through this transition I'm hoping that it continues to you know close that gap but I think that it still does play a large role in it because of all these influencers that we talked about, including parenting, school, social, environmental to allow females to even feel like it's okay to develop that side of them.
1: Also, if you ruled the world, what would your vision be in terms of what we need to do as a society in North America to accelerate that movement? I mean, what what kinds of things would you advocate for?
0: Education around awareness uh, from everyone. Again, I I wouldn't pinpoint it on any one party, but all of the influencers from parents to schools to all of these environmental things, how everyone, you know, needs to be aware of it. I will say that I, I do want to be a little bit careful because I am in it and I try to advocate and help and inspire people to get into STEM, but I'm very much someone who believes in we need all kinds in the world. I would right. never want to be in that power right. of, you know, position that you talked about and try to get everyone into STEM. So,
1: no, right. I mean, we need artists too, and we need right. writers, and there's already a lot of money at the universities that flows into engineering and computer sciences I mean I I went to my daughter's campus just as an example and there's all these new buildings for engineering and computer science and the poor English building looks just as dumpy as it did when I went to
0: school Uh, yeah exactly yeah I do believe that you know we need to encourage people to do the things that work for them as well and not just you know kind of try to point them in one direction only. so just just to make that distinction but I, you know again being in the field and wanting to help the people that do want to be in STEM or and, and or be in those leadership roles, I think the education and awareness can go a long way and again it, it's not something that can happen overnight but I do think that it can it can happen.
1: Well, I'm curious whether you've experienced more challenges or different challenges because you are a woman and or because of your ethnicity. Do you you feel that that's been a harder road for you or just really not something that has mattered?
0: Yeah, you know, I I will say I I do feel pretty lucky um, that and everything's relative, I may think something's a lot and someone else may think it's, you know, not uh, and vice versa. However, you know, I was born and raised in Canada, I I don't feel like I've experienced a lot of discrimination. But I think it also mindset plays a lot into it. Like maybe it's it's me that I, I could have been discriminated against a lot and maybe not even realized it, you know, but I've never felt that I didn't belong. You know, I will say, on a professional level, you know, being in engineering I, is still very male dominated. So I have been exposed to that for several years since, you know, undergrad. And there are times where I find myself being still the only female in a room or the only female in a conversation. And it's not, I don't always notice it even, but that I have experienced on several occasions, times when it has been hard to be Heard. It's hard to get listened to. And that the reasons behind that can go from not being even given the opportunity, you're not addressed in the conversation. And there's been times where I've tried to get a word in and I just can't, like, it's hard, you're overpowered. And that's not always the case. Again, it's been select few times that I, I can remember. And unfortunately, there are people that will still default to a man over a woman in the room. Yeah. No yeah. matter what, that's their, that's their, you know, um, default and it, they, they will do it a hundred percent of the time, again, maybe without even realizing it, yeah. but that goes back to those influences that we talked about, how they were raised, where they were raised, all of those influential factors. And I mean, of course, this is very group and person dependent. Not all men are alike either, right? There are some very, oh, absolutely not. Yeah so that for sure. Ethnicity, I, I, again, uh, I can honestly, Doris, honestly, I can recall one incident growing up that, you know, I was, uh, and it wasn't here, it was in the UK, but where I really realized, uh, you know, there was a A comment made about the color of my skin. I never experienced it beyond that growing up. So again, I do consider myself lucky there. And as an adult, uh, again, I just I have not felt that and whether somebody has had that bias towards me or not, it either has not been blatant enough for me to realize it, or I don't take it into consideration enough to you know, have it impact me, and I, I don't want those things to impact me. So I'm very thankful for that. And you it, know, it, I think you're
1: right. I think sometimes ignorance may be bliss, it's and I think sometimes bliss. you know, mindset is important. Yeah, mm-hmm. you remind me of one of the guests that I had on my show a few weeks ago, who is a, a venture capitalist, and she's experienced a lot of the same things. She's the only woman in the room, and she said you know, a lot of it, a lot of it was very weird, but I didn't care. I just knew I was going to keep showing up. And eventually they realized I was going to keep showing up and I was going to make intelligent comments. And over time they just, you know, realize, okay, that's her and she belongs here and okay. You know, so I don't think, I think, you know, what you're suggesting is probably not atypical. It's just, you need to have enough self-confidence and and enough passion about what you're doing that you just, you just keep showing up, right?
0: That's right. You just keep doing it, you know? And again, like you said, if you're contributing and have the, you know, ability and and show that you are, you're meant to be there, uh, you know, hopefully people will realize that even if it's not at first, then eventually.
1: Well, good. I'm glad that you keep showing up and I hope, um, I hope more, professionals like you keep showing up. Looking back, what advice would you give from your entrepreneurial journey? What advice would you give to other entrepreneurs, maybe especially women entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs in general, about starting your own company and growing it?
0: Yeah, you know, and I would say exactly that. Really, uh, in a nutshell, is what we just talked about: is keep showing up, keep doing it. If I was a motivating voice in my head from you know my journey, I, I tell myself to do exactly that: keep moving forward, find a way. If you don't know something, learn it, figure it out, talk to people, find those resources to make it happen. Just because you haven't done it, like I'm a prime example, doesn't mean that you can't make it happen. You know, there are inherent risks in doing that as everyone can probably comprehend on some level, but you have to continue to be open-minded and be prepared to take some risks. I, I think just keeping keeping that momentum and pushing through the highs and the lows is the biggest thing. You just You just make it happen. You know, another thing I would say is it might sound contradictory to what I said, but you know, as I was saying to talk to people and that, but it's a little bit on the other side is don't listen to everyone. <laughs> you know, there are some <laughs> experienced people that can give you advice that's not suited for your particular company or situation. Mm-hmm. And I think that because, you know, I was in that situation, as I said, too, is that I've never done it before. So you lean on people, but it doesn't mean that they necessarily know the best course of action for you and you know you don't always have to follow a normal path there are typical things that people can lay out for you for I don't know that there is such thing but you know a typical medical device company but that's not necessarily the right thing for you to do and I will say that you know we've been in situations like that as well is that it's like stand up and push for what you believe in. If, you know, there are situations where people are going to say, no, 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 this is the norm, or, you know, you should do this. And it's like, really, like, you know, I I think the reflection and questioning those things is very important. You know, even talking about fundraising briefly, you know, those decisions shouldn't be taken lightly. And I think for a lot of people who are in startups and particularly like myself in situations where they've it's their first time you know you sometimes feel like you have to listen to the people that have done it before the even (laughs) right like the venture capitalists or people that go through these they're like oh no we only do this okay well Great. Like it's sometimes hard to resist. And I'll use that as the example, because if you need money, which you can't run a startup, especially a med tech startup without funding, you know, if you need money and they're dangling something in front of you to give you, I don't know, I'm going to make something up like millions of dollars, but they want to take 70% of your company. You may feel like you have to do it because they're like, it's the only way you're going to be able to do it. And I would say just challenge yourself, a challenge to think beyond that if you don't need to, you know, it may be the right decision for you, you know, maybe, but don't necessarily listen to all of that. You know, I think that's a big thing.
1: You know, it's interesting. uh, One of the venture capitalists who was on the show a few weeks ago, I thought had a very good observation who said, don't take every piece of advice and go run and change your business plan or your approach, because otherwise you're going to spend all your time pivoting, pivoting, pivoting. That's right. What his advice was, he said, you know, talk to several. And if you hear the same thing over and over again, or three or four times, stop and think because probably there's some kernel of truth in there, but don't, don't knee jerk because lots of people are just offering advice. And I, I laughed. And I said, it's, you know, it's like, when I was a new mom, you know, everybody, everybody in stores would just come up to you and say, this is how we, you should do this with your child, you shouldn't let them do this. You know, you you could drive yourself completely nuts, mm-hmm. trying to listen to each and every person and their advice. But as you say, be measured about it. Consider it, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, also having thick skin a little bit. Some people aren't going to be wildly enthusiastic about what you're doing based on their own personal experience. You know, sound out lots of different people, right? And if you yeah. hear the same theme over and over again, eh, maybe right. there's something to it. You might listen, reconsider, you know, maybe just say thanks and move on
0: that's right. I love that analogy because, you know, we do often think this company is our baby. We call it that a lot. Like, no, like, you know, no one no one knows better than you really to be able to at least assess those things and and do what's right. So, you know, that's a great that's a great point. <laughs> and, and yeah, and the last thing I will say and I touched on it earlier too is choose your people wisely from your project team to partnerships. Uh, you know, I do strongly believe it has a huge effect on a personal level and on a business level, you know, your passion that we also talked about, you know, that delivers on the outcomes of of what happens, you know, of your successes and the team of people behind a company are crucial to its success. And personally, day to day even if you think on a daily level to everything, your own happiness, surrounding yourself with the right people, I think is vitally important. So that that would be a strong point of advice from my
1: end. I think that's great advice as well. Mm -hmm. One last question. How should people reach you or the company if they're interested in learning more about the product, or maybe they're just looking for advice or something we touched on today?
0: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that, Doris. Uh, I would say, you know, our our website is definitely probably a good starting point for the product, which is the website. Our website is www.frontlinemedtech.com. There is a contact form on there if people would like to get in touch uh, with the company and, you know, for anything else, LinkedIn, my LinkedIn profile is, is, a, is a good way to reach me personally, if anyone would like to talk, I happy to, you know, share more experiences and, and talk about anything at all. The website and LinkedIn would probably be the best, best ways. Why
1: don't you spell your last name? just so? Yeah,
0: yeah. I was about to do that. Yes. Thank you for that. My first name is Asha, A-S-H-A. Last name is Parekh, P-A-R-E-K-H. On LinkedIn, it should be fairly easy to search for that name and it will show the frontline medical technologies in my profile.
1: Fantastic. Asha, thanks so much for being on the show this week. I really appreciated your insights. It was great having you as a guest. So thank you again.
0: Thank you so much, Doris. I, it's been a pleasure, and I really enjoyed our conversation. And thank you for having me.
1: A special shout out again to my guest today, Dr. Asha Parikh, CEO and co-founder of Frontline Medical Technologies, to join us this week to talk about the new medical device she's invented, as well as the topic of how to encourage more women in sciences and technology and entrepreneurship. You can find more helpful information and resources on my website, globalosityservices.com. Because the show is for you, my door is always open for comments, questions, suggestions, or just to shoot the breeze. You can email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakesradio.org, and I promise you'll always get a response from me. Be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then... I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.